and hey, we're in Brooklyn. Got, you got yo yo yo. You got, got Brooklyn in the house. <laughs> <laughs> I am gonna put that to a beat. Yeah, please. <laughs> <laughs> From Atlanta, where football season is about to start, which means five months of lame excuses from Falcon fans. <laughs> it's the Whole World Improv Theater Podcast, brought to you by Whole World Improv Theater, Atlanta's original home of improv. Here are your hosts, artistic director Chip Powell, and a man who knew exactly what to get his teenage daughter for her birthday. Spotify Premium, John Mihalik. Let's see if I can offer up a, a, another birthday suggestion. Oh, what did I want when I was a teenage girl? <laughs> so many moons ago. <laughs> Clear skin would have been nice. Um, kittens. God, so, so lame. <laughs> oh, and world peace. That was so idealistic. <laughs> now I know that's never going to happen. So I've taken on a healthy attitude of pure nihilism. Hey everybody, it's John. Thanks for tuning in this week. This is part two of our interview with the great Hal Peller. Last week, we talked about the Viola Sprolin method of teaching improv and her book, Improvisation for the Theater, considered by many to be the definitive book on improv. He also went over some of his rules of improv, and something stood out to me. Improv scenes aren't always funny. They can be poignant as well. Hal brought up how important it was to be honest and true to how you feel in the moment during a scene. I asked him more about that as we pick up our interview. I do know what you mean, though, that sometimes you know, when you're in the middle of a scene and you talk about being poignant, you know, when people ask me, what's the best scene you've ever been in? And I, I've been in so many scenes, it's hard to pick out. But I always remember the moments that the audience just reacted in an emotional way. Right. You, can you know, I, Carlos, he had me and Adele Dreos and I'm about 20 years older than her. So, so our first scene together was as father and daughter. And this became a re recurring thing. It was her wedding day. And it was all about her. For, for me, it was just all about her. Like, if this was my daughter, how I, would I act? And no one was laughing. But right. I didn't care. I was just focused on Adele. And then at one point, the whole audience went, oh. Oh. <laughs> I love that when you do it in a sitcom, live sitcom. When they, you know, yeah. You know, I was just, yeah. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> See what happens with these negative improvisers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if I can only find video of that. But but yeah, no, I, I get it. You know, the poignant, the emotion. Has anything in the training helped clarify to young improvisers? Because it took a while for me to capture that, to feel to it. Capture to feel it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So uh there's a whole bunch of games to get people out of their head. That's most of the spoiling games. Well, mm -hmm. If you're thinking about it, you're you're listening, waiting for the audience to laugh, or you're thinking about it, you're in your head. And just get physical. What are you doing? Where are you? Where are you? That's the most important thing. Where mm -hmm. are you? And what are you doing there? So I'm in the kitchen. What do you do in the kitchen? You know, you're on your computer watching porn. What else? <laughs> what do you do in your kitchen? Nobody, nobody suspects the kitchen computer of being the porn computer. <laughs> <laughs> the refrigerator. You might need a snack. <laughs> no, but the thing is, is that what do you do in the kitchen normally? Don't be afraid to be ordinary. Mm -hmm. So you make breakfast or you make a bake a cake or you drink a cup of coffee. You read the newspaper. 
that's what you do in the kitchen. Don't be afraid of the ordinary. I learned that a long time ago. And may, and give as much detail to the object work. That's part of it. The other part of it is when somebody walks into your scene, have an emotional connection with them. How do you feel about that person? Mm-hmm. You like them? You're afraid of them? And what cue would give you that feeling? We all read body language. We do it without even thinking about it. That's the beauty of it. So we do. We, we like a person right away. We see somebody, we fall in love right away. Right? Mm-hmm. That's what you yeah. want. You want that. But you always, one of the another rule is you always know the person. There's no such thing as strangers in a scene. You always know the person. And, you, and, the, and you, the knowledge of that person could be anywhere on the spectrum. It could be your brother, your sister, your husband, your wife, right? Mm-hmm. Or you saw them in line at the grocery store and you want to get to know them. Or they ride the same bus as you do and you mm-hmm. want, you'd want you like to get to know them. So it could be one extreme to the other. and that, But you know them. You always know them. You always know each other. I can't tell you how many lights just went on in my head now. <laughs> That, that, that makes so much sense. You know, it can be an ordinary connection, but you know this person somehow. That's right. And don't be, and Mike Nichols used to say, uh, dare to bore. <laughs> dare to bore. Because we are, everybody is an exceptional person. What we bring to the table is exceptional. It's great. Feel that in your bones. We have all the knowledge. We are experts. We're the best we are incredible and bring that with you because then you're able to handle anything. Now at this point, as Hal gets into the nuts and bolts of an improv game, it might be tough to envision everything. We're going to post a video of it to help out. We'll link to it in the comments of the episode. The first game in the book, and I play this, I usually play this, is called uh, Exposure. And, and I play it with your cast. You have a handful of people Half the group is on stage, lined up, and everybody else is the audience. Now, everybody's playing. You know that, right? Everybody's playing because your audience is playing along. They have to see things that are not there, invisible. In fact, Paul used to say, this is not an acting technique. It's learning to respect the invisible because your objects are in space. So half the group is on stage. And you have them line up and you say to them, I'm going to give you a direction and I want you to do that direction with full energy. Got it? Yep. Okay. I want you and the audience, you're going to watch them. You're going to watch the uh, players on stage from head to toe. You're going to watch every little muscle, every little detail you see. So then, then I say to the players, okay, here's your first direction. I want you to do nothing, absolutely nothing. And they stand, I'll stand there. What's it? What? What? And I said, we're going to watch you. We're watching you do nothing and you're doing it full energy. And I'll stand there. Ah. I said, ah. a good actor can stop breathing. A lot of the people that I've worked with are now doing Walking Dead because they're doing nothing, watching, we're watching, this is my side coach, we're watching you do nothing, head to toe. And they're, 
That's an audience watching. We're watching them. Okay. After a few minutes of them feeling totally uncomfortable, I say, okay, give me a hand. And now, next direction. I want you to count all the chairs in the room, keeping in mind that some of the chairs are behind you. Now they're all... Then after both groups do it, I'll do the debrief is simple. What did you see when I had them do nothing? What, how did you feel when I had you do nothing? And then I, you know, I said, well, what, what did it feel like? You know, what did you see? And they said, well, you know, some people say, well, they were trying to figure out what doing nothing meant. What was the expectation of doing nothing? I'm breathing, I'm blinking, I'm thinking about what I'm doing. Is that doing nothing? And then what changed when I gave you a job to do? And I asked the audience, what changed? What did you see change? They said their body language changed. They were totally relaxed. Before, they felt foolish, and they didn't know what to do. And, and they're just, you know, awkward. And I said, that's right. Know your purpose. Internalize your purpose. Internalize your purpose. When you walk into a scene, Why? Are you walking into that scene? What's your purpose? Where are you? And I say, and Viola's big, big on this. You want something to do? Create the where. And that's when I tell your cast. It's just another tool that they could use. Where are you? Create it for your fellow player, for sure. So they could be in the kitchen. They turn the faucets on and they, you know, they can be brushing your teeth. What, where are you? And then make sure that your fellow player sees that. Every little detail. So we play a game. Another game is um, add an object to the where. So the first player comes into the where, creates an object. So if it's a kitchen, he might open up the cabinet, take a glass out, open up the refrigerator, get a carton of milk, do you live in atlanta are you visiting atlanta soon either way a night at whole world improv theater is one of the best shows in town we're open for shows on friday and saturday at 8 p.m and now there's a second show on saturday at 10 p.m That's three chances to make your week funnier and we guarantee it costs less than your therapist. It's 200 bucks a pop and the first available appointment I could get for a therapist was about two months. I don't know, it's a racket. I think we should just all watch cat videos because they help every single time. Yes, we're still totally safe and socially distant. We follow CDC guidelines, but like what does the CDC know? They live here in Atlanta, which is allergy central and it just gets worse and worse. What's the matter, my people? No love for the hometown? See if we offer you tissues for those watery eyes ever again. Major support for Whole World Improv Theater is provided by the Atlanta Mayor's Office of Cultural Affairs, the sweetest smelling office of cultural affairs in the world. We're doing this 10 o'clock show called What Had Happened Was. Yeah. And it's really about the audience telling us stories. And then we do a scene and Tanya has been leading it. These guys had been in Manhattan and they're from here. My neighborhood? 
Yep. And they had uh, gone out and one of them failed miserably with picking up a girl, but the other one ended up going in to say, is this guy bothering you? And it turned out he ended up picking up the chick, going to her house. And the embarrassing part of the story was he used the bathroom at three in the morning and flushed the toilet, but the water came up. Oh jeez! And she was on the my worst floor. nightmare. Yeah, and so he was trying to clean it up and everything, and then he left, and he goes back to the hotel room. So we were back at the hotel room reenacting what happened after that situation. Right. But I I always teach my students because I love that whole idea behind the kitchen and in the creating. Mm-hmm. So it was four or five in the morning. I can't remember so, something in the morning. I was like they had woken me up because I was the third wheel character that was with the group that didn't do anything that night so i was like well i didn't do anything so they're gonna have it out over who got the girl and i'm gonna jump in and go over here to the mini bar and make us mint juleps (laughs) (laughs) so i used all the stuff in the bar and then i took each glass and i shook each glass with the shaker and then I took the mint <laughs> and I sprinkled it in and I put the straws in there. And I gave, the, yep. Mold the sugar. And, and the, then did it all and then handed David one and then went over to Monish and he was finishing his Oscar moment. And when he was uh-huh. done, I was like, no wonder she didn't go out with you. And I handed him his Moscow mule. And a few minutes later, I was sitting on to the side here and I was still holding my Moscow mule and sipping on it. And there's had magically disappeared. And they said, what, what are you doing over there? I was like, I made y'all, I went to all the trouble to make you a mint julep and you're not even drinking it. And then David's like, I slammed it and I threw the, the cup down and his whole Oscar was about, make, he made me another one. But then he decided that it wasn't enough. So he did a whole flight of drinks and he served them to me at the end of the scene. It was hilarious. That, that prevents you from being talking heads. Yeah. And trying to be clever. All you had to do is mix a drink. Yeah. Right? I have to do is open up a, a, a wine bottle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there you go. What color is the wine? It's red. Yeah. How'd you know? Because who's yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The nose. <laughs> right but, but it's little that those are the details that, that you need to give to your fellow players those yep. details and when you work together long enough mm-hmm. they'll see it they will see the color of the wine they will see yeah. the if i'm holding a ball up right they will see the color of the ball mm-hmm. i just love adding detail you know what in the book uh truth and comedy mm-hmm. which also describes that uh harold that Dell created. Yep. Uh, which we love. Yeah. Oh, you started teaching the Harold? Yeah, we've uh, done, yeah, we did a couple uh, during the pandemic. Uh, so, one of the parts of the book was when you, Mike Myers was working with Dell, he became vague man. And so someone said, Well, where are you going? He says, I'm going to work. Well, what do you do for work? I sell stuff. So, I mean, just as, as vague as possible. Mm-hmm. And I got a, 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 a placard that says, what happens in vagueness stays in vagueness. <laughs> Love it. You know, Truth in Comedy, you know, Dell wrote, and then, you know, Shauna wrote the companion piece, Art by Committee. Are those books and, uh, and that education, what are your thoughts on those? Well, Dell studied with Viola. Yeah. I was asked to do, in New York, 
Improvisation News did a hundred hours of Harold. Mm. And uh, I was asked to coach one of the, to do one of the classes. And when I got there, nobody had ever heard of Viola Spohn. So on the headline was Spohn meets Harold. And uh, I got pretty upset. I couldn't, I, I was brokenhearted that these folks weren't being taught Viola Spohn, the book, the Bible. Yeah. Of uh, improvisation, where it all started. Commercial improvisation started with her book, and she, and Second City would, they would play up in Second City with her book, and uh, Paul, when he was the founding director, would play her games, and Dell was studying with her, and she would teach, would facilitate her games in Chicago, and I was livid. So the reviews were Hal attacked us. <laughs> Wait, how do they put it? Can you imagine me? Mm-hmm. I, I get along with everybody. I felt physically attacked by Hal Peller. <laughs> assaulted. So let's talk about the Applied Improvisation Network, because that's your training that I believe is more corporate. But can you kind of talk a little bit about that sure. organization? Well, it's... It, it's you know how each of the games solves the problem, right? Of mm-hmm. Viola. Viola's original applied improvisation. She used improvisation games to solve acting problems. Mm-hmm. Well, with leadership training, all we had to do is create a game or tweak a game that would solve a leadership problem. So you play the game and your total focus is on playing the game. When you're playing a game, you don't see anything else but the ball. But the focus of the game is a leadership lesson, like better listening. There's a game mm. for that. And it's out of the Spolin book, too, a listening games. But all, so I, a very little adjustment had to happen for that kind of a game. It's called the AHA method. of Her work is the AHA method of teaching and learning. And when you play the game, you feel what it feels like when you're getting it right. You have, oh, AHA, that's that's incredible. I just felt that. And that's where Spolin is. That's where improvisation should be. It's the process. You feel it when you're doing it, when you're in the zone. You're sure you felt this. When you're in the yeah. zone, you know, you feel it. Oh, yeah. And then you're helping the your fellow players and you're hitting home runs left and right. That's a feeling. You can't describe it as a, as a scientific, emo, uh, you know, it's emotion. So... That's what I'd use, but to sell it, <laughs> sometimes, <laughs> sometimes I don't tell them I'm doing improvisation. Yeah. Because people are afraid of improvisation. Mm-hmm. So I just use it anyway and just say, for the next exercise, we're going to stay. I need five volunteers to stand up on the stage and do nothing. <laughs> Oh, we do the, like Emily puts together so many corporate events for us. And the one, like, so the same thing, people come in the first part of the workshop, they're, you know, trepidatious. They don't want to do it. They they want us to open the bar early and we're like, no, (laughs) No, Um, no, they want all that stuff to like kind of calm their nerves. And we're like, no. And then one of the first exercises that we do is no speaking just make eye contact with one of your partners and right, they right. get so uncomfortable. And it's so funny because really, like, yeah, they do. <laughs> but you know, after you do it three or four times, that uncomfortable ability just kind of exactly. flips away. 
and they get the exercise and then they start doing it. And then you start to hear laughter come into the room. And then, you know, the rest of the workshop, they're going to have such a good time and they always do. And then you get it down to the very end and there, you just keep them working the entire time. You keep them moving and you give explanations as to why each exercise is put into place. It's important. Feedback, debrief Mm -hmm. and feedback uh, at the end of every exercise is really important. How does that make you feel? Why do you think you felt that way? And ask those kind of questions that kind of will get them to have an aha moment, which is what the goal is. And that's that will stick with them for a lot longer than just, all right, turn to page 33 of your book. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So in other words, instead of being a sage on the stage, you are a guide on the side. Hey, follow me. Here's a flashlight. Look, see that path? It's right there. You guys take it. And for those of you at home, if you can do nothing, you're already halfway to improv training. (laughs) When I do it with corporate people, I say it's so you see how you feel much more comfortable when you have a job to do. Know your purpose. Mm-hmm. And usually I say, and your purpose can be found in the corporate mission statement for this company. And if you internalize the mission statement for the company, mm-hmm. then you know every question you ask will be answered correctly. If you give the answer, it'll be the right answer. And odds are, if you internalize the mission statement, feel it here. So that's why it's important to know what your purpose is. For the corporates and and people are when about the positive, make positive choices. People are attracted to positive people. People uh, want to collaborate enthusiastically with positive people. Anybody work with a negative person, uh, you avoid them like the plague, right? Mm-hmm. And I said, raise your hand if you're a negative person. So yeah. everybody, they thought I was going to say, raise your hand if you work with a negative person. Oh. Raise your hand if you're a negative person. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I, can, I can be kind of negative at times, but <laughs> we're working on it. <laughs> I went to a company out of Singapore, hired me because they are a company that specializes in corporate training using theater methodologies. And when they saw that I use improvisation because I'm an applied improvisation practitioner, they said, this is our guy. So they flew me to Kuala Lumpur to do a public workshop with all these corporate people that they brought in. And after they played with me for two days, it was two days which is really cool. They invited me back. In a year, I went, I did six trips to Southeast Asia, Kuala Lumpur and Singapore. The fear was, well, I have an interpreter in the room with me because what if they don't understand a concept that I'm trying to teach? And they said, everybody speaks English. And I went, oh, well, but what if they don't understand (laughs) a concept that I'm trying to teach? Uh, they said, well, you know, you'll be with the host who speaks, you know, Malaysian and, and, but the, the main language, interestingly was English in Singapore and Kuala Lumpur. And what I learned was that improv games then doesn't matter. It crosses all language barriers. They're going to feel what the outcome is on their own. I don't tell them what the outcome is. I just tell them how to play the game and they feel what it feels like. And they had the best time the best time because what i did was it gave them permission to be foolish and everybody everybody who took that who took those workshops learned how to improvise everybody in the two days they were all improvising in the scene and they loved it i want to go back applied improvisational practitioner i'm an applied improvisation 
practitioner. How can I get this job title? I mean, <laughs> I would... I'll tell you, I would talk to Robert Lowe. You know, Robert? Yep. Yeah, we know Robert. Oh, he's, he's been... no. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I think I have met him. Yeah. yeah. yeah you've met him. Yeah. I had him over there with uh, playing in that, in our workshop with me. Yeah. So this is a thing you can get to be in applied... the applied improvisation network. You can find it on online or mm -hmm. Facebook. They have a Facebook group. The first year I went to a, a conference and it's a world conference too, from all over the world. And there was probably 350 members all over the world. So mm -hmm. 70 at the conference and 350 all over the world. Now, this was in 2004, I think it was my first conference in San Francisco. So I happened to be working in San Francisco and I went to the conference and I loved it. 70 people, 70 improvisers. It's the best community. I just fell in love. I had to go every year. So I went in Austin, Austin, Texas. Now I've got some friends I met there. My friends from Singapore were at that conference. I didn't even tell them about it. I just did spoiling workshops with them in Singapore. But these folks were excited about it but and passionate like I used to be. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, what does the practitioner do then? So this is a group of people. Now, that conference had 300 people and I think like four or 5,000 members worldwide. And what I found out about the group as it grew, where there's a handful of practitioners who used improvisation to work with autistic children, a group of uh, improv practitioners who work with dementia. So there's different groups of people that work with catastrophe, like from the Philippines, mm -hmm. when the typhoon hit the Philippines back in the day, there's a group of people that went in afterwards to work with uh, it's just all kinds of folks. And so me, I'm, I'm doing leadership presence or leadership training. I do train the trainer storytelling, corporate storytelling, why it's important to start or answering the question why. So yeah, join the group, come to a conference. And I can do nothing. So I'm already ahead of the game. No, no, they don't do that. Oh. <laughs> Get my hopes up, Al. <laughs> That's spoiled. Hilarious. I saw... <laughs> And I can do nothing too, as a matter of fact. I'm really good at it. Well, Hal, I can't tell you how excited we were to have you today. You know, I think we've learned a whole lot and we continue to learn a whole lot more. Thank you for being here. Thank you for inviting me. And nice to meet you, John. Nice to meet you. And we'll have a uh, link in the notes to that uh, book of yours. Yes. Okay, www.improvworkshop.com. We'll have that, that link one? too. <laughs> yeah. All right, Hal. Thanks so much. Thanks so much, man. Thanks. Thanks, you guys. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Whole World Improv Theater podcast. The podcast ranked number one by John's dad. Hi, John's dad. Most of the mean stuff that I say about John is written by John. I wouldn't actually be able to say bad things about him in real life, which you think would be a positive attribute for somebody to have, like just not to be able to insult people. Uh, but no, it doesn't really, it kind of doesn't get you far in life. Surprise. Um, turns out if you don't have anything nice to say about somebody, you should say it anyway, I guess. 
The Whole World Improv Podcast is a production of Whole World Improv Theater in association with Headspace Editions. The executive producer, writer, and distinguished endowed professor of improv is Chip Powell. The other producer and writer is John Mihalik. Mihalik. John's back to being humble with his short credits now. You know what they say about short credits. They say go get yourself some more credits. What, silly? Go back to your long credits, John. Very long credits. I'm sure you have very long credits. Oh, Lord. I'm going to keep that in there. Original music by The Gentle Readers. Our social media maven is Bethany Rowe. Please help support this podcast by liking, subscribing, and leaving us a review. Don't pass us around, but you can use our Netflix password. Whole World Improv Theater is a 501c3 nonprofit theater. Please support by donating at our website, wholeworldtheater.com. And remember, it is tax deductible. The arts bring us joy. Just think of how horrible quarantine would have been without entertainment. I mean, how much worse could it have gotten when we had all the entertainment at our fingertips? That's a, that's a dark hole to imagine. Probably would have looked something like Lord of the Flies. Kind of did for a little bit. Still does some days. Additional writing and voiceover from me, I just spent the last two days uh, kind of bailing on the first apartment in Chicago that I got. Not bailing. I'm still going to pay. It's going to be a whole thing. (sighs) But yeah, I could hear every single thing from the neighbors. And I know people say that and it's quite a, a hyperbole a lot of the times. But um, my neighbor was having a lady over, and I can't go into it here. I mean, I'm no spring chicken, but those kids nowadays are getting up to some kind of tomfoolery shenanigans in the bedroom. Oh, I don't know. And it's not like I was sitting there with, like, my ear to the wall. Maybe at one point I had my ear to the wall, um, with a glass, with a jar, with a mason jar to the wall so I could hear everything. And I heard everything. Let me tell you. They had a good time. Ah. Anyway, I um, was I managed to get over to a different apartment, and this one is made of concrete. So I think I'm gonna have a pretty sweet voiceover booth in a couple days set up if I last that long. That's what she said. Oh, thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Get your mind out of the gutter. Speaking of gifting to your children, earlier today I had to do a, a little boy's voice in close to Cockney-ish accent. Pretty sure there now some neighbors have some questions. <laughs> it was something along the lines of, uh, I'm not fetching you the newspaper, did? No! Me father just said not to go! Me father don't get me nothing for my birthday! Oh, all the kids at school have things for their birthdays! And I don't get nothing. Well, I get teased and crumpets and I get... I gotta shine shoes on my birthday. Out on the street in the dirt and I don't even have bread to eat. Joe, you can't. My dad wouldn't even let me have a meat pie. Oh, oh the meat pies are made of good old. The beans and the meat pies had mealy worms. 
and the worms started poking out their heads at me. Ah, oh, that turned into something else. I don't know what that was. The worms, the mealworms, dead. My father's trying to poison me. Oh, no wonder mother left. Me mum. Oh, me mum. I miss me mum. I don't know where she is. She went off with the barber. Earlier, I saw her leave the house with a booster ale pushing up her breasts. Mum, what are you doing? Me old mother was bringing her milkshakes to the yard for the boys. They must be thirsty. 